All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Going Live with Good Soil, episode number 87. Uh, Matt and I uh, do this on our, our YouTube channel for Good Soil Investment, as well as on Twitter spaces at the same time. And Matt and I were just commenting uh, right before this recording started that um, the Twitter spaces seems to be upping their game and they had a few new options for like pregame music and stuff. It was pretty interesting. And uh Matt was speculating if uh, Elon and Tesla will ever do their earnings call on Twitter spaces. I think they will. I mean, uh, you know, at some point, right? What, what, I mean, why wouldn't they, right, Matt? I mean, didn't Elon kind of uh, allude to that at some point? Like there was going to be something on the, on Twitter spaces soon? Um, I, I don't know if, if if Elon said anything about that. I don't recall hearing that. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've been so innovative. I mean, a couple of years ago, bringing Galley up and, you know, doing the – say.com it, it seems like they're always uh looking for kind of innovative ways to to up the game because like the, the way most companies do earnings calls is just so boring and kind of outdated so uh, i think mm. there's there's plenty of room for innovation there yeah definitely and i also think um they th- like elon's referred to it a couple times that for twitter to seriously be improved they really have to like rewrite the entire code basically rewrite the entire Twitter platform in a much more simplistic way because just the legacy, you know, codes and systems built on top of legacy codes and systems with all kinds of patch marks and band-aids, you know, it's just like a huge, I can imagine it's like a huge Rube Goldberg machine of a coding system that like you mess with one little thing it messes up the whole machine. You got to figure out how to reverse engineer back to fixing it again or something. So, um, I, maybe they can't do too much innovative stuff on Twitter spaces until they revamp the entire, until they re rebuild the entire Twitter platform, I guess. I, I don't know. That's something for Elon to talk about, I guess, at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's probably lower down on their, their priorities list. So, um, you know, I've seen several people in the comments say my video is terrible, so I might try switching my, my internet over. So I may drop out for a bit, but I can keep hearing you on, uh, on Twitter spaces. Okay. Yeah. Your video is pretty blurry. Um, maybe it's just my video is so good and it just yours is I got my internet fixed yesterday Matt and I were having our kind of prep call and my internet was broken and I was nervous I'd get it if I get it fixed or not in time but it's it's fixed and stellar right now so let's see if Matt's getting his internet fixed right now can you still hear me Matt yep I can still hear you okay good it's going through spaces okay all right some people are saying get Starlink, Matt. I thought Matt might have gotten Star, or no, no, you didn't get Starlink yet, did you? It's not available in your area. They've got like a a, a bad version of it where you you always have the worst. Um, like they said, I could sign up for it, but I would get like the the lowest priority, essentially something like that for speed. Wow, that um, might be better than I- the current internet though. You have though, you know. It might be, you know, what's so frustrating is I had a guy from AT&T out here not too long ago and he like found the problem, apparently he fixed it and it seems like it's gotten worse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. I'm lucky I have a couple guys I trust that know this stuff that come over and help out from time to time. I think uh, Matt disappeared from the YouTube live stream temporarily. His internet has gotten so bad. Matt, can you still hear me on the Twitter spaces? <laughs> for the YouTube channel. All right. Well, can people on YouTube live comment if you can hear Matt, even though you can't see him, can you hear him on YouTube? Because then we'll just keep talking. Even if you can't see him, maybe his internet's so bad, they just cut out the camera. I think 
Yes, uh, Matt needs Xfinity. No audio from Matt on YouTube right now. Matt, maybe you want to switch back to the other one. All right, we're just waiting one second. We'll just kick off our outline of things. Not now. No one can hear Matt right now, so we're waiting. Okay, Matt's coming back onto YouTube. Here he is. I can't see you, but I hear you. Um, that's fine. You have a camera box that showed up. It's all black. So there's no picture, but your, your box is there. Yeah. Still no audio on YouTube. Yeah. Have any jokes to buy the time? Tony's saying, I do have jokes. Why did the chicken cross the playground? To get to the other slide. That's what my kids told me recently. So it was a funny joke. Buying some time while Matt gets his YouTube set up here. (laughs) I think they're talking about, I don't think they can hear you. Carl and DRK say no audio still on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, refresh his browser, Alec. That's what Alec says. Refresh your browser, too. Okay, so while we're starting, I mean, the big thing today is um, the macro market. Powell had his... Oh, now Matt's back. Very good picture here. Let's see if Matt... We can hear him. Okay, I bet you people can hear him now. So the big thing today is the macro market with Powell's comments this morning to the Senate. Um, and uh, it looks like the market is interpreting it as hawkish somehow uh, matt said he was listening to it i was listening to snippets of it there's a few comments where he see they just seem like they're putting 50 basis points you know people have speculated about it but it seems like he referenced it more directly as like an actual option that might even be probable at least the market is interpreting it as probable the fed futures have priced it in as probable at this point as more likely than a 20 yesterday a 25 basis point hike was more likely for their March meeting than a 50 basis point. But now, as of right now, 50 basis, according to the Fed futures, a 50 basis point hike is more likely than a 25 basis point hike. So that's how the market's interpreting it to be more to raising rates faster. Um, I think a lot's going to depend on next week's CPI print. Um, and then they have the meeting like the, the week after that, I think. So th- that that's where we are with the macro market and why I think a lot of the growth stocks took a big hit this morning. Um, does that, does that jive with what your understanding is, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I was listening to to Powell's comments for a while this morning. It, it did seem like, um, you know, he was kind of continuing the message that he's been saying for a while that, you know, inflation is proving uh, kind of more resilient in a bad way than uh, he was expecting. So it's going to take longer than most people are thinking. And they're probably their terminal rate is, is going to be higher than most people are thinking. So, you know, th- that kind of a reiteration of those comments um, is, I think, very bad news for people who are kind of hoping there'd be a, a, a quick, you know, pivot from from the Fed policy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had that kind of blip of good news for December. Then the January CPI numbers were, were not so great. Um, and so I think what Powell is saying is like there's there's more of a risk for uh, pivoting on policy um, too soon than for you know kind of going too long and you know hurting the economy because like he said before they've got the tools to kind of fix up fix that mess if if um, you know they really do like, like crash the economy they can just stimulate again and get things going but um, 
Mm -hmm. he's, he's certainly more concerned with um, letting inflation linger too long. Uh, I think, uh, and so they're going to err to the side of, you know, higher and longer, uh, which is not good news for equities or for the economy, generally speaking, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Evan in the comments says, how much longer do you think Powell raises rates from the date Elon stated he should start cutting? Yeah. So, I mean, there's this guy on Twitter I follow. I think I have retweeted him once in the past. I can retweet him again if people in the comments are like, want to know, but his name is Eric Wallerstein. I think he's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, but he, he it's like his focus is just to tweet stuff about the um, macro market economy and interest rates and like what's going on with the Fed. And he's very concise. He doesn't cluster your feed with other junk. You know, too many people I follow end up retweeting other people and put, he's a good, efficient follow for this stuff. And, you know, a tweet he put out this morning was that, uh, you know, it, it, the, the current pricing based on the Fed futures is that there's going to be a 5.6% terminal rate peak in October. That's what's priced into the Fed futures now. Whereas in early February, the terminal rate was 4.9% and it was expected to peak in July. So there's a big yep. movement, right? And I, th I think that goes a lot to the, I think it's all really because of that jobs report and the CPI, the hotter than expected CPI report that we got for both for January that came in mid-February, those reports, right? So I feel like we're just kind of, the market digested that data and is like now like, oh, wow, it's going to have to go up higher and it's going to be longer before it peaks, you know? So that seems to be kind of what's reinforced by Powell's comments this morning as well. So uh, we'll see. I mean, hopefully the next CPI number that comes out tomorrow, next week, I mean, is going to be uh, better than expected in terms of cooling things off because the macro market is highly determining where not just Tesla, but all the growth tech stocks are going. You know, if the, if the peak was still 4.9, if it hadn't changed, if the CPI, if that data hasn't changed, I wouldn't be surprised if Tesla was at 250 right now, you know? It's just so sensitive yeah. to these macro interest rates. So if you're if you're trying to short term time or trade Tesla in any way, you really have to pay attention to the macro stock market and interest rates and what the Fed's doing, because that's, you know, all the growth tech stocks are super sensitive to it right now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, the just from a, a kind of pure finance theory theory standpoint, you know, when when you're discounting at a, at a much higher risk-free rate and a good chunk of your earnings are in the out years and your beta is like two or higher like it is for tesla like all those things really translate directly to um you know a higher cost of equity and a therefore lower net present value when you calculate all, all those cash flows and lower stock price so um you know it's it's kind of frustrating because i'd much rather like spend this past 12 minutes talking about tesla investor day but it yeah is which we're gonna like get you can't to. You, you can't fight the Fed and it's so important to- You can't you know, ignore the Fed or fight it. Yeah, yeah, you can't ignore it or fight it. Exactly. Yeah. If you ignore the Fed and you're trying to trade for any short-term intervals, you're you're really losing out. You got to keep that. You got to know that data point, what's going on there. Um, so, you know, moving on to Tesla Investor Day, you know, there was a, that was a big day. I mean, I think it was their first ever Investor Day, to be honest. I think it was their first official like Investor Day. They've had like- AI day, they've had, you know, battery day, they've had, you know, they have their annual shareholder yeah, their meeting. shareholder meetings. But yeah. this was the first investor day they ever had. And uh, what, what, I mean, there was good, we talked we, in our prep call yesterday, we talked a little bit about it. There's good and bad and confusing. There's three parts sort of, I mean, you, why don't you kick off the good, Matt? Well, well, let's start with the good, the good news and the bad news, I guess, or not, you know, not so good news, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, probably the most obvious one that everyone was expecting was the the Giga Mexico plant. So, you know, they they finally announced that. And it was, I thought the way they did it was actually kind of funny. It was like after a break and then it was like announcing Giga Mexico and it was just like on this like slide in the side. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait. Is anyone going to like comment on the on the fact that they just announced this factory and then finally they did? I don't know, thirty seconds later. Yeah. Um, but it was just kind of funny. Um, and the weird thing about that was, you know, they were really mum with the details on like you know timing or you know like when they would be when the first you know, vehicles would be produced. And then the next day, Tom Zhu goes out and he's like, "Yeah, we're going to start right away. We're going to have like vehicles in twenty twenty four. We're going to try to beat the nine month you know construction yeah. time that Giga Shanghai had." And I was like. Why is Tom saying this, you know, on his own the next day rather than in the in the investor day? So that was yeah. kind of funny. I, I felt like the the market reaction would have been a lot better if they just shared those details on actual investor day. So mm-hmm. uh, it was it was um, it was kind of funny. I thought, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the the other thing, I mean, um, the the most overarching theme was just the deep culture they have of cost cutting. Uh, that was so prominently on display. And as like a long-term shareholder, that was by far the most important thing. You know, they're they're yeah. trying to grow to 20 million <clears throat> units in a terawatt hour of energy. They really, you know, reiterated that goal. Um, but you can't do that unless you move significantly down market. And the only way you can move significantly down market is if you can lower your costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they laid out, I think, an incredibly compelling vision of how they can do that by cutting costs, not only of the vehicle, but even of like their O&M and how can we get better with doing, uh, you know, deliver a better product or service while cutting costs at the same time. Um, And it's like, that's been one of Tesla's miracles. I think if if you look at their O&M growth (laughs) compared to their revenue growth, it's it's like shocking how many times they've been able to cut O&M while growing revenue. And then, you know, of course, it doesn't like cut. You can't cut forever. It's got to grow eventually. But um, the efficiencies that they are finding are just ridiculous. Um, yeah. So so that and, um, you know, the bot was super impressive to see. They, they kind of, you know, blasted over that. But I thought the 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 amount of progress that they achieved on the bot in just a few months was was super impressive. Um, so, I mean, overall, like as a, as a long-term shareholder, I think ARK Invest had an email the other day that it said it was all substance and no flash. <laughs> and I think that's yeah. very much true. Like, yeah. uh, you know, they, they were not, um, at all trying to like pump the stock price. It was like a very clear, here's our like strategy in the very long term, And, and that was, I, I think it's, it was an incredible <laughs> vision that they, they painted. Yeah. Incredible vision. Long-term conviction stays very high for long-term investors. Um, and personally, as a long-term investor, my personal account, I'm very happy with Investor Day. I'm okay. You know, I don't need the stock price to pop or whatever. You know, our fund would, would, that we manage is much more short-term minded. You know, people aren't paying us just to hold stock, Tesla stock for them, right? They're, they can do their own. We're trying mm-hmm. to out, get better returns and try to do things and time things and you know, it's a little frustrating if you're trying to, you know, short term or medium term, do anything to, um, you know, get a better return than just holding the stock long term. Right. So it, it didn't have any short term, you know, punches to really punch the price up of Tesla stock or boost the hype or not hype, but just like 
there's nothing, there was no unveiling of a product. You know, a lot of people thought that, you know, they were going to talk about the Gen 3 platform was referenced on that invite. And we thought they'd talk more about it. They didn't really, they kind of skirted around it and just said, yeah, in the future, we're going to have a Gen 3 platform. We're not going to show it yet, but we will in the future. But these are the things we're preparing to do to improve everything in our factory manufacturing process. It was kind of cheap, like a cheap punch. I felt like, I don't know, cheap punch is the wrong word, but it felt like, I don't know, it felt like a trick, like, to hype things up, hype the investor day up for people that were hoping for some more. And then they just pulled the carrot away. Like, Nope, we're not showing you the carrot yet. Yep. We, we, we referenced, we were going to in the invite, but in reality, <laughs> and then there's the whole hype of the investor day, actual invite, having that special graphics and stuff, you know, like what was, what was that about? There were, you know, that, I don't know. Do, do we ever find any, make sense of that, Matt? Did you, any of the theories or any of the things people found in that, that special visualization of the investor day invite, that it makes sense to anything. Do, do you think? Nope. Not that I've seen, um, <laughs> you know, but that was just so, noise so like, then, right? Well, I, I mean, the, the most basic interpretation of that graphic was that uh, it was all about like a very high quantity of, of cars. Right. Yeah. Um, and that it was, but like, then like, why did they make it 3d? <laughs> just, yeah. Like there, did they didn't really talk about anything, you know, 3d at all so you know mm -hmm. that was a little strange yeah and they uh, referenced you know, Martin... boring company in spacex and that wasn't touched on at all in the presentation right so it did feel yeah. like a bait and click right that's what uh, i see carl brangle that's the right term a, a bait and click yeah instead of a bait and switch it was a bait and click you know invite yeah so i don't know i mean melody says i completely disagree with you i mean as a long-term investor i'm very happy with what they said don't get me wrong but as someone wanting to see something a little more flashy based on the anticipation going into it like a short-term investor you know if you're going to be a short-term investor it was disappointing for sure you know i mean so there's two different mindsets there right so you know a lot of the tesla community is made up of a mix of those two people or one some people are just the long-term conviction you know foundation first principles only investors that'll hold it for 10 plus years and then certain people are only short-term minded holding tesla on margin buying options and then there's a big mix of you know a little bit of both you know and so i think if you're any part of the the shorter term minded focus you're disappointed to some degree but the, depending how long-term minded you are you're pleased overall anyway right Something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I see in the comments Henry saying that Elon doesn't care about short-term investors. That is a hundred percent true. So, yes. like, you know, that's that's I think why we urge caution around you know playing with options at all. We don't comment a lot about any you know <laughs> trades that we make in the fund because uh, it's it, it's so uh, volatile and, and it's very hard to kind of get the, the timing right. Yeah, you know, I think the reason we even play in this space in general, and it's it's like very easy to kind of criticize the strategy in a year like we've had in the past year, where you know things aren't, um, you know, where the stock's going down, is that like oh you're just like short term trading trying to like you know get ahead of things, but I you know I would argue we're actually looking at the fundamentals and saying like the market is just wrong on earnings, and so there's there's outsized gains to be had if you can, um, um, as long as you're not going crazy on like you know deep out of the money options or anything like that um it, just assuming that tesla continues to to grow like they they are yeah so you know the, the kind of taking our our option strategy out of it the the thing that i found disappointment um or disappointing was the kind of demand concern and i talked about yeah. this a little bit on uh, farzad's stream yesterday I think it's like a legitimate question of like, hey, what's going on? Because, you know, the numbers out of China seem low. It seems like inventories are piling up. We just had another round of price cuts yesterday. 
you know, but last week they were just saying, oh, there's no demand problem. We've got, you know, Tom Zhu said something to the effect of we have more orders than the Shanghai plant can deliver in China. And it's like, if that's true, why are we not seeing that in like the delivery data or in the inventory data? So yeah. either it, it seems like there's going to be some huge wave of deliveries in the next couple of weeks, um, or it seems like there is at least some sort of short-term demand issue. In that case, like why wouldn't Tesla just be a little bit more upfront about that? That's that's the part that's that's you know a little frustrating to me is they're like trust us, demand's not a problem. I'm sick of talking about it. But yeah. then like a week later, they're they're cutting prices. You know, there's there's just like a a, a disconnect between um, what they're saying and what they're doing. It seems to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, can't they, they could show us some metrics if that's true, right? But they kind of don't want to show us the, the updated metrics of order backlog or, or something. I mean, Troy calculates it and estimates it. And yeah, it looks like there's a demand <laughs> issue in some places, some regions, especially like Europe's fallen off. So, you know, China, the deliveries have come down. You know, demand is infinite. I think that was a comment Elon said, and yeah. that, that's, that's like speaking hyperbole. I give him the benefit of the doubt. He's just speaking hyperbole, but I think he means like demand is incredible. And um, yeah, that I think he mean, maybe he means like demand is going to exponentially go up the lower we get the price. Of course, that's the case with anything with the laws of supply and demand, you know, but are you going to keep cutting the price to eat into margins infinitely? No, at some point you have to stop cutting the price so that you still have some type of margins to reinvest into the business. And, you know, um, it's mm -hmm. just disappointing to both, I think, you and I that they haven't experimented more with the advertising to reach audiences outside the Twitter's, the Tesla Twitter sphere. You know, like, you know, all the tweets that go out, all that, like all of us on this channel, all of us watching this, we're all aware of that stuff, everything that Tesla's doing. But the people outside of our bubble, which is, you know, the vast majority of the population <laughs> in the U.S., they have no freaking clue what's going on with Tesla. They just are told what they see in headlines of, you know, uh, autopilot crash feared or whatever, you know, like safety concerns. You know, they don't even know Teslas are the safest car on the road. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, can't we just educate the national population in the U.S. that Teslas are by far the safest car on the road? Can you at least do that for us, Elon? I mean, that would be a huge win for the for everyone. Everyone. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Is it out of principle just to prove a point? Like, listen, I don't need to do traditional advertising. Look at us. We're going to make a historical case study of a business for people to study for years to come. You know, I feel like that's where he's going as opposed to just like, let's just do the right thing for the overall good of everyone to understand that the safety of the Tesla cars educate the whole population that they're safer than everything else. I don't know. I'm that, that it, it, I'm getting yeah. riled up thinking about it, but it just bothers <laughs> me, irks me. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I don't want to just, you know, pile on Elon and the team because most of what I saw, I really liked, loved. But like, I, I, I don't understand for the life of me why you don't just try spending $50 million in a variety of advertising channels, kind of see what works and what doesn't. And if the whole thing is a flop and it's like not a priority, great. Let's let, at least we've got that data point. But, you know, like Elon was saying, they cut prices. And so they gained some um, understanding of kind of demand elasticity uh, to, to price. And that was like good data to have. And I'm like, OK, well, why don't you try to get similar data points for, for marketing? Because uh, yeah. to, to your point, Emmett, there's still so much misinformation on like Tesla fire safety or like these autopilot crashes. Yeah. Uh, or or like range anxiety is still a thing, which is 
hilarious to me because like people who, who own a Tesla yeah. generally don't have any range anxiety for any situation ever. I mean, um, the, so. the bottom line is human safety should be number one and paramount. And I think Elon believes that when he thinks about it that way. And it is. It is number one and paramount. Like Teslas are the safest statistically, you know, and why not get the word out there so that like mom and pop who are outside of our bubble when they're thinking about the next car to buy for their kid, you know, like who's aggressive driving like a BMW or they're like, Oh, let's get them a used model three instead, you know, like it's and save their kid's life when their kid's driving drunk on the road, you know, driving them off a cliff or, or whatever, you know, like it's going to save some amount of marginal lives. If they just got the word out that Tesla's are the safest. Like, I don't understand how Elon He's the decision maker on here. I bet there's people in the Tesla team that would love to do this, but I think Elon is the final decision maker here and we trust him for almost everything. He's not, he's not perfect. I trust him for almost everything, but this particular item, I, I think he's wrong and I wish he would reconsider. I mean, just testing it out, the advertising, like you're saying, Matt, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, a lot of what they were focused on, I mean, they said it right from the outset, like this is, let's not talk about anything in the next two quarters. Um, and so I think their their whole mindset, at least for that presentation, was in the long term, we have unlimited demand because we're going to be like by far the most cost competitive. And if you're looking at the details, it's like, yeah, I, like if you're going to lower your cost by, you know, 50 percent. So your cost of goods sold is going to be, I don't know, it, let's just be conservative and say eighteen thousand dollars or something like that. <laughs> like how, nobody can really compete with that. Um, so. Mm -hmm. You know, I, th I think their 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 upside potential in the long term of of you know um, getting to twenty million units is 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 very reasonable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the I same see time, Harry like Chu in the comments saying, "Sorry, if Tesla were to spend billions on advertising like Ford and GM, then they couldn't do a low cost car." That is true, but we're not saying like they could spend fifty or hundred million like a, and and get a huge bang for the buck to test it out potentially. Just and, and then they wouldn't have to cut costs, price it, you know. So anyway, well, go on, well, Matt. What like, the, well, our point is that price cuts do cost billions of dollars, anyways. Like, Many if more, you're cutting yeah. your average cost ten thousand dollars, and you're selling a million units, then you know that's ten billion dollars of like lost margin or cost, however you want to look at it. So, so it's not like price cuts are free. They're not. You know, it's just what I would like to do is like try some different combination of price cuts and, and marketing spend and like find what's the, the right happy medium. Um, and, and if advertising is a total bust, then absolutely like don't, yeah. don't do that anymore. It's not going to um, be a total I, bust. I think why not just try it? I, <laughs> yeah. No, I agree, but you know, yeah, I, I, just, I think they're afraid that it's not going to be, a, maybe he's afraid it's not going to be a total bust and he's going to be pressured to even put more on advertising, but it was such a huge success, like a hundred million dollars of advertising generated like a million new orders in the U S at full price with like maximum margins. And so once they have that, then it's like a no brainer, they should continue. It and he doesn't want to go down that road, but that still doesn't make sense to me. If you're saving lives by getting more people into Tesla's than otherwise would be, you know, outside of the Tesla bubble, you know, especially, you know, so mm -hmm. It's just, um, it's frustrating. I don't know. Yeah. So, so the other thing, you know, in the long term, I, I loved their their plan. But the one question I had on on the longer term, we we we've, we've spoken a decent amount about the short term. But you know, Elon said they only need about ten models to to get to twenty million units. Um, there was, uh, I think, in, <clears throat> even in that slide they showed, there were only two two more cars. Um, that they planned on including there, there's the roadster too, but that'll be really small, um, unit volume. But like, I think it's a legitimate question whether, you know, 10, um, 10 different units or, or models 
can get to 20 million in sales, especially since some of those will be like S and X, uh, which are not going to be, you know, like those co like combined won't be more than 200,000 units. I don't think in the long term. Yeah. So, you know, you're really talking about, you know, seven, like, like probably half of the 20 million is going to have to be like two or three models. And like that hasn't really happened historically. I think it certainly is possible, uh, but it's, it's at least a risk that I think is worth exploring in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a risk. I, you know, I'm not as worried about that as you are, Matt, to be honest. Like I know Drew Dixon is also sort of, he's more worried than you are even about the number of models. Yeah. I, I think yeah. if they have a really good model Y and a really good model three, and they have a couple variants of it, like, you know, maybe a hatchback model three eventually or something. And they have, you know, two different ranges and trims for the model Y and three. I think if they're really good, they can sell many more than many more millions than you know anyone would imagine of those cars even let alone the gen 3 platform um so they'd have to lower prices obviously which they'll continue to do based and i was really excited like we said about all these cost cutting uh, measures they're doing with the manufacturing process and uh, you know um it, it, that was all great stuff i'm glad they educated us and you know it's like tesla education day is what i thought of it as they really educated us on how they're doing it which is stuff you and i had faith that they're doing all this time anyway. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people outside the, you know, a lot of institutional investors who might've been drawn to the presentation, hopefully they were educated on, or hopefully opened, opened their eyes a little bit more about what is in the meat and potatoes of Tesla. Um, so, you know, but the one thing just with a grain of salt is, you know, I remember battery day and it was a similar, you know, educational event with the battery day. Um, in terms of how they're going to get the batteries ramped up and the cost of batteries lower. And there's things in there, you know, you believe it all, but you, you, I, and same with the way back, the, the first AI day or full self-driving day, you know, we we're supposed to have a million robo taxes on the road by now or whatever, you know, all this stuff. So you just got to take everything with a grain of salt because some of this stuff will not come true, will not pan out, you know, or it'll just take a much longer time period, whether it's the robo taxis taking much longer than anticipated or with the battery day, separating the lithium from the clay, you know, that was a big point in like an innovation yeah. like that seemed to, you know, resolve so much, you know, but it seems like that's not happening. So there might be something in this manufacturing process education day we saw that is not going to actually happen that we're all excited about. So just take it with a grain of salt. Much of it will happen or is already happening, but some of it just may not pan out. So, you know, that's all I'd like to say as well. Just take everything with a grain of salt that Tesla's saying. It's all they all intend to do it. I'm sure they intend to do this stuff, um, but some of it likely won't pan out. So, so I think the the other comment uh, or category, you know, we had the good, the bad, and and the confusing. One of the confusing things to me was like <laughs> I, I felt certain they were going to talk about hardware four, and mm -hmm. then they didn't. Uh, they really hardly spoke about FSD at all. Which you know, we we just had AI day, so so maybe that's understandable. Um, but it seems so strange to me that they didn't mention hardware four at all. And now we learn like a week later that they're rolling it out already. Like hardware four is being delivered, uh, yeah. to, to a lot of customers. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's confusing. I think it has to do with Tesla doesn't want to Osborne their current vehicles. They, I mean, Elon, and it's true. Like they're always improving Tesla's. There's no year models. They don't want to do things by year every three months or six months or some kind of improvement that consumers would care about and wait for. But if, if you kind of 
talked about it a lot, then it would make some consumers just indefinitely wait for the newest version. They would never buy a Tesla, you know, and I think that's yeah. a little bit of a concern and they don't want people to, to, to act that way because there's always going to be a newer Tesla right around the corner. That's with a new hardware version or a new battery structure that goes for more range or a new infotainment computer that lets you do, you know, steam versus not being able to do steam games, you know, so there's, there's just new stuff all the time. And so sometimes these new little things that we're excited about, I feel like they purposely don't talk about, even though they could, because they don't want to get too many news headlines about it to Osborne, the current rate of sales for people that are going to wait for whatever that new thing is, you know, that's my thought. Yeah. No, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, th there's no other reason not to do it. I mean, they have the chip, they have all the new cameras. It's not like, you know, there, there was any information they needed to wait for. Yeah. So, and, and I think that was something similar, like, um, you know, with the Gen 3 platform, uh, there's a very good chance that could that could uh, Osborne some of their current sales. So I think it's it's probably the smart thing to do not to not to give too many details away. So I'm actually even as a short term investor, I'm, I'm OK with uh, how restrictive they were on the details around Gen 3. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the uh, hardware for, I guess we'll find out when they get FSD 11 gets, you know, let out to everyone in April that, you know, if it, if hardware four makes a difference at all or not yet, maybe that's just going to impact future versions as well. Um, but yeah, FSD, there was no real updates about FSD on, on the investor day. Um, you know, they, they did a, a show some safety statistics though, right? Didn't they show some new safety statistics for FSD or just test the cars driven with FSD and how it's like, it was like, I forget the actual yeah, numbers, it but it like was like six or seven times million. safer. Yeah. 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 So why don't they, and that, you know, that's perfect data to put into like a national advertising campaign. I just don't understand. It's just like they're letting misinformation, you know, get the better of a lot of the population who has, you know, that's what they look at instead of the Tesla's source data on this stuff. Yeah, I mean, when oh. like Elon's kind of dunking on Dan O'Dowd and and that sort of thing, it's it almost makes Dan O'Dowd seem like a peer or like that his point is valid and so is Elon's. But if you just put the stats out there, you can say, hey, listen, yeah. like this, we're just testing this out and it's already seven times safer. Like yeah. I could picture in my mind some amazing campaign about like a family driving and they get in an accident and like or or they're about to get in an accident and the autopilot thing stops it and like that would be a really eye-opening thing to a lot of people who aren't in this tesla bubble or like another campaign about you are in an accident but because of the crumple zone being so much larger uh, yeah. everybody can just walk away and it's like you yeah could, you could do a series of like five safety advertisements yeah that would really yeah. like open people's minds and be like wow yeah. i had no idea teslas were so safe yeah so, yeah know. Yeah, it'd be great. I mean, maybe one day we can organize a fan organized uh, commercial for I don't know how much money it would cost, but we can get donations. Someone could organize something and I would invest, I would donate a thousand bucks to that. And I'm sure a lot of people would donate 10 or 100 bucks. And if you get enough of us, Tesla, you know, Twitterverse people who are in agreement, put it, it could be a million bucks pretty quick and then a couple million bucks and then you get a commercial segment. And as long as you get Tesla's approval. You could just run it that way. And I bet it would, it could drum up orders by, we could improve the, you know, a million dollars invested in some commercial like that could, could ultimately lead to a valuation of many billions higher for Tesla stock, you know, pretty quickly. If, if uh, everyone becomes more aware of the safety aspect of Tesla, it'd be interesting. Yeah. And then you, you had have uh, so much more of a backlog that you could, you know, 
optimize your deliveries a little bit easier. You wouldn't have to, you know, try to match demand with supply. You wouldn't so have to lower precisely. prices again anytime soon. You wouldn't have to yeah. lower prices. So yeah, I mean, which like the delivering value to customers, I've seen a lot of people who who criticize the marketing as being like, oh, well, like you're, you're just taking savings away from customers and putting that in Tesla's pocket. But my point is like, which they can then use to fund their $125 billion CapEx plan, yeah. which is like, Tesla needs a lot of cash flow, so yeah. like they can't be running at tight margins in order to fund the growth profile that they're after. So I really yeah. think it's important for Tesla to have very significant margins going forward in order to, to self-fund this ambitious plan that they have. Yeah. So um, and, and one yeah. other one other thing that you and I touched on yesterday, a theory, and this could be playing into Elon's mind. And I'm not sure whether I agree with it. Or not. I mean, if you look. I could see the argument to be made and I could understand where the arguments be made on this, you know, as, maybe Elon does not want Tesla stock price to go up anytime soon. Like maybe he, he wants to keep progress going. He doesn't want Tesla stock to the price to go down obviously and make all the employees and investors upset or whatever, you know, or, but maybe that now that he's sold all the stock he needs to as well for any time for the time being, just maybe long term he he would prefer the Tesla stock to you know stay between two and three hundred dollars a share let's say for like the next few years even because last time when the Tesla stock price went up you know five x in a year or two you know he saw enormous amounts of talent retiring from Tesla you know Tesla engineers like you know top talent probably retiring leaving to do other things because they made x million on their tox their stock incentive plans. And in that exodus, you know, maybe it set Tesla back further than other, you know, it didn't let it advance as fast as otherwise it could have, you know. So maybe he he wants to keep, you know, that from happening. And so that's one possibility we were thinking about. I don't know, people in the comments, what they think. I mean, Elon, I think, is that governing all his other decisions about what information he's releasing about on investor day and whether or not he wants to keep, you know, lower prices, you know, do you think his desire to keep the Tesla stock price, to keep Tesla engineers with Tesla longer? Um, do you think that desire is governing his uh, actions on all the other stuff? You know, I guess that's the theory. Yeah. And I think there's certainly some, some uh, validity to that. I mean, if, if Tesla goes up, you know, 10 X this year, you're definitely gonna yeah. have some people retire and move out. So, yeah. like, you know, he, he clearly laid out the plan for um, Tesla being the most valuable company in the world. So it's not like, you know, he doesn't have the same long-term belief that, that we do. He very much does. Um, but you don't want that to happen all at once. Kind of like we saw in 2020 and 2021, uh, cause that, like that alone can disrupt your business and it makes your, you know, stock-based comp more expensive and, and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's some validity, like, I think a steady rise is going to be a lot more helpful for the company operationally than, you know, 10 years of stagnation. And then like the parabolic <laughs> increase uh, yeah. at the end of that decade. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it's certainly, certainly a legitimate theory. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, the only problem there is, you know, if you, if you try to keep, Tesla depressed from rising too quickly too soon than it naturally would have if you just kind of kept the same pace of um, information coming out or whatnot is that at some point the stock price will catch up to that kind of fundamental progress that's happening behind the scenes when it comes to fruition. And so at some point in the future, maybe in three or four years, 
if he kept it range bound 200, 200, 300 again, then at some point it might just pop to a thousand, you know, in one year again, triple in one year again, suddenly. And that's going to be a mat. That's going to lead to another mass exodus in that year of employees who are like, Oh, I've made my 10 million in retirement Tesla stock options. I'm going to leave. I don't want to work this hard anymore, you know? So yeah. There will be another, but maybe he wants full self-driving solved before then. There's probably a lot of FSD engineers that, you know, he needs to hold on to, especially. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, All right. so Emmett, I'm, yeah. I'm curious, we, you know, I think um, if I were to, to replay the last 45 minutes or so, we probably come off as, as very bearish on like, you know, the event <laughs> and the stock. How, how so yeah. like objectively, we like to do things on like a numbers basis. Yeah. If you were to rate the event and kind of like your, well, let's just say the event uh, scale of, of, you know, one to 10, 10 being the best, how, how would you rate the event? As a long-term investor, a 7.5, I would say, maybe an eight. I don't know. Um, as a less long-term, like, you know, if I, it, if I had just been a long-term investor and ignored all the noise of the invitation and the reveal and all that, I would say it was like an eight. Right. But Mm-hmm. As a, you know, given our short term minded focus on the fund and all the hype with the invite and Elon talking about SpaceX and Boeing Company being involved and, you know, the next gen platform information will be revealed, you know, in the invite language, even with all that hype kind of going into it. When you put that all in the equation, I would give it like a four, three and a half or a four, you know, <laughs> just because I was like, Oh, there's a lot of cool stuff here for the long term still, but all the short term stuff, nothing panned out from what I wanted, you know? Yeah. What would you, what about you? What would you have uh, rated it as? I'd, so I'd, I'd probably, and I, and like- one, 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 one thing, one caveat, the only reason the long term, I give it an eight instead of a 10 it's because I was there for battery day. I was there for the first AI day. I know some of these things do not come to fruition. I know that. So, you know, they mentioned all these incredible plans and I, it would be a 10 if I knew all of the stuff was already in place and coming to fruition right now, but these are their intended plans. I know like some of it is not going to happen. So that's why I give it an eight instead of a 10, you know, long for, as a long-term investor. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So, so I'd probably give it a seven. I think I, I was honestly mostly <clears throat> happy with it. Um, mm-hmm. The things I didn't like um, Elon's comments about lithium, I actually still really disagree with. Um, and I'm like more than willing to admit that Elon's smarter than me and he can know this stuff, but I'm listening to a lot of people within the lithium industry that are saying in the next couple of years, we're fine. But in like 2026 and to 2030, there's not enough mining capacity coming online in order to feed the top of the funnel. So Elon's Mm. talking all about lithium processing. Um, and I think in the short term, that is the constraint, but in the medium term, I think it's definitely mining and given the lead time of like seven years to get a new mine approved. Um, I think this is a legitimate risk to the long-term strategy. So, um, you know, I hope Elon's right about that, but I, I, I'm not convinced that he is. And he didn't expand on it. He's just like, well, mining is not a constraint. It's processing. And, and it's like, he, had, he didn't give us any proof of why that's the case. So that I found that a little bit disappointing. I found the the capital allocation strategy, which was one of the things that they were uh, was on the invite. It was basically just, Hey, we invest in like, you know, uh, building out capacity and eventually we'll do dividends and buybacks. And it was like two minutes. <laughs> and I was like, that wasn't, yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of substance there, to be honest. Yeah. That was uh, so I found that a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, and then the, um, like just total lack of, uh, demand, um, like data points about demand. 
um, and kind of the dismissive attitude toward that I found disappointing. So those were the three, what I would say are kind of like meaty substantive um, things that even as like a super bullish long-term investor, I, even in the long-term, those things are slightly concerning to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see, I agree with all of that. Yeah. But still incredibly bullish. Um, yeah. You got to put, I mean, it's easy to, you know, basically my default is very bullish on Tesla. And so I'm looking for the little pieces I can be negative on with it almost, you know, that, that's the way to think of it. Like, you know, I think Matt and I are both in the same camp there where we're overall, that's our most exciting stock of this generation still. Um, yep. But it's so widely accepted in our minds that way. That's our default that um, we're so used to that, that we're allowed like training ourselves to look at the, any little negative pieces we can find to pick at, you know? And so, you know, I, we apologize if it comes off as bearish, but you know, nothing's perfect. You know, we're just trying to find the imperfections, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, should we, what do you want to touch on rocket lab had their earnings and, and then do, do yeah. yeah, maybe. So I'll, I'll just share my thoughts pretty quickly going through here. Um, so, you know, this was another one that, that, uh, surprised me a little on the downside, um, gross margins, uh, which previously had been so healthy. And that was, I think one of the reasons we were so, so bullish on the stock in the, the medium term, uh, really contracted pretty significantly. And, and so, so, um, that was definitely a problem and they they spoke to it mm -hmm. on the earnings call that essentially you know they priced a lot of these launches um and and you know the, their space systems other components um like a year and a half ago and so you've got um old prices in a in a like very rapidly rising inflationary environment uh and so that that created a lot of gross margin pressure but you know gross margins are going the wrong way you'd think as they kind of scale up uh they'd see some operational efficiencies um but we're, we're not seeing that at least yet so so that was a cause for concern for me and then the other one is that the, the backlog decreased again uh this quarter so i think that's it's either two or three quarters in a row um that backlog has actually decreased um so that's that's a little bit concerning because you know a year 18 months ago they had these crazy stats where you know like yeah, I remember. would grow like 30% within the quarter. And then they'd say they have this other piece of information that says from the end of the quarter to when we're releasing our earnings, we actually increased another $60 million, our backlog. So they had mm -hmm. this like rapidly growing backlog. And, and now that seems to be, uh, you know, holding steady and, and even dwindling a little bit. Now it's still $500 million. It's still like a very healthy overall level. So I'm not really that concerned with it. Uh, but that was a little... Um, you know, you know, just another data point that wasn't trending the right way. Um, but the the thing that really surprised me is that they're targeting the Neutron to be launched, the first launch to be in Q1 of next year, which is like way faster than I thought they'd actually be. So um, if they can actually continue to make progress on that, like that's way more important than, you know, what their gross margins or their backlog is this year. So um, getting Neutron up and running, if they can actually start doing commercial launches next year, that would be a huge, huge milestone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think another concern is maybe the space industry has gone into a little bit of a lull, hence the United Launch Alliance, the rumor of it being up for sale. Um, you know, that's one of their main competitors who does things very cost expensively instead of cost effectively. So, you know, cost I think, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I think um, the whole space industry is probably, it, 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 come down a little bit um and you know maybe there's a bunch of you know innovative uh 
companies that were maybe startups or using research and development money that they no longer have and startups that no longer have access to funding that were, you know, previously um, part of the launch uh, cadence that are no longer part of uh, the order backlog. And so, I, I, you know, it's just uh, it's a longer term stock Rocket Lab. It's not something we we buy like short dated call options on or anything because uh, yeah. it's a long term almost like a venture capital investment. That's the way I think of it in my head. It's like, you know, it's publicly traded, but you know, if I was able to invest in rocket lab privately, you know, back when we bought it publicly personally, I, I probably would have, you know, just like I bought at that valuation and I would just hold on to it for yeah. years, you know? So that's what we're doing for our fund is we bought a piece and we're just holding on to it. And as long as we can, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I still believe that the whole like space industry is wildly misunderstood. I mean, you, you still got like Virgin Galactic and Virgin Orbit. In my mind, mm -hmm. those business models are just so completely inherently flawed. They've got no chance of making it, uh, but they're still trading, you know, close to they're not quite at the level of Rocket Lab, but, you know, in the same in spitting distance of Rocket Lab. And to me, that's just it's like so like the market. <laughs> Is, is not doing a good job of imagining what the space industry is going to look like five to 10 years from now. And so I think yeah. eventually that's going to get sorted out and there will be a revaluation of companies like Rocket Lab. Rocket Lab is probably the, uh, the first among, among its peers. It definitely is. Um, yeah. uh, so I think there's going to be a revaluation where you say, oh, actually all the money that's in the virgin orbits of the, of the world like should get reallocated to companies who are actually going to succeed in the long term. So uh, yeah, I, I think... I don't know when that's going to happen. We're not trying to time that, but uh, I think eventually there will be a kind of revaluation and in, in, uh, I, I look forward to that day. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right. Should we go to Q&A? Let's, let's try to go uh, for 15 or 20 minutes on Q&A, I guess. Alec, uh, you want to post some questions? From Bob Adams, 1414 on Twitter, Tesla has indicated that they are managing to operate to managing the operating margin. What do you think is a realistic expectation for operating margin over the next couple of years after Austin and Berlin have fully ramped? Mm. Matt, what, what do you think in your model? What are you modeling or what, what are your thoughts on the operating margin over the next few years with the uh, So yeah, I, they're I'm also cutting prices. With, they're also cutting prices. I'm terrible with recall on, on stuff like this. So I can't remember offhand what I've got as operating okay. margin in, uh, in the model. So um, you know, maybe I'll just, rather than talk about specific numbers, I'll just, you know, say, you know, I'm looking at, at the numbers for operating margin. And I believe, I believe I've got it trending down at least for this year, relative to where it was last year. And that's yeah. really just a function of the gross margin getting, getting pinched. The price cuts. Um, the price cuts. Yeah. yeah. So, but if you're going from, what was it? 1.3 million last year, I believe 1.3 million deliveries, uh, to 1.8, um, you're going to, even at a lower gross margin, uh, as long as your operating expenses don't increase too much, you should, you should still see some pretty significant free cash flow growth. Uh, and your net income, I remember the way that I'm projecting it, it's like a slight increase in 2023 compared to 2022. Um, so essentially, you've got like almost the same uh, financial metrics resulting from, uh, call it 500,000 higher uh, deliveries this year. Uh, but then I think that's going to really accelerate next year when, you know, um, you're going to be at significantly higher scale, um, you know, crossing, say, 2 million units. And you're, you're, you're going to cut some cost of goods sold out of your gross margin. And, um, and so that's going to help to really transform things. So I think the way that I'm thinking about it is like this year is going to be like 
you've got this crazy earnings growth profile that's been like parabolic. I think we flatten out this year, but then kind of like regain that trajectory next year is the, the way that I'm thinking about it. Yep. Next question is from at FOMO rising on Twitter. Interesting name. Investor day gave us peak at Tesla strategy, a, a peak at Tesla strategy with lithium. Elon specifically called out uh, Spodjamine Rock as their most likely lithium feed stock. Where specifically do you think that rock will come from? I mean, that's something we probably would need to talk to uh, Josh's Blonde and uh, the other guy again. On um, Josh's Blonde is probably more has more knowledge on this. Have you looked at this at all, Matt? Yeah, actually, um, I, I listened to a, a great uh, podcast over the weekend with uh, Joe Lowry, who does that lithium podcast. Yeah, him and, too. Um, he would probably have a good uh, idea. Jigger Shaw was actually on there, who is like, Jigger Shaw is one of the most amazing voices on energy out there. Um, oh, wow. You know, he okay. started Sun Edison and uh, then was doing like a venture capital fund um, uh, for a while. And then he got tapped to run the, the Department of Energy's uh, loan office. Um, and so like he's actively involved in, in like funding new projects like this. Um, and so they were both saying uh, to get to like one terawatt hours of domestic battery production, there's not at all the, the capacity. I think Joe was saying uh, domestically within the U.S., there's only around 250 um, gigawatt hours of, of mm -hmm. like raw material inputs that we have like on like the roadmap by 2030. Jigger Shaw said he was at about 500, so like half of one terawatt hour, mm -hmm. uh, which is only Tesla's like energy portion. It completely excludes automotive and it completely excludes every other use of, of batteries in other industries and for the other OEMs. So, so there's very clearly a um, not enough resource domestically in the United States, and it's not going to be there by 2030. Um, but what, what Jigger was saying in particular was um, like Tesla's putting this um, – uh, this this factory is it in Corpus Christi? It's somewhere on the coast, I think. Um, mm. But what they were saying is like he wants like the it, it, and it's actually U.S. government policy that they want the raw ores to come in from South America and from everywhere else, and the U.S. to really be focused on um, doing the processing part of it because that like that's what they think is going to be the most value added part of it. Um, but then you're kind of leaving up like so where is that going to come from and. Uh, obviously, in in like um, uh, lots of parts of South America, they're they're increasing production. There is a bit in, in the U.S. as well, but you know, like these guys said, it's not nearly enough to get to Tesla's goals. So that's that's why I think this is a risk because nobody has identified like where these extra, you know, two terawatt hours, let's say, uh, that are needed are going to come from by twenty thirty. Yeah. Next question is from Scott2050 on Twitter. What are the odds that Rocket Lab will run out of cash by the time Neutron is operational? I mean, I think Matt's been paying closer attention to the financials than me. Um, but from what I remember and what I've seen uh, based on their raise of the SPAC cash of SPAC, they have years of runway. And I think their estimate for Neutron is sometime next year to have the launch. So I think they have, you know, maybe if I recall three years of runway or something like that, if they didn't do anything special and they were losing money and I have no, I'm not sure if that's still the case. 
uh, how cash flow, how close they are to cash flow neutral at this point, or how much cash they're losing quarter. But it's a lot less than something like Rivian, for example, who's got a you know issue debt already today. Apparently, there's some bonds they're issuing. So um, I think Rocket Lab has a lot of runway and uh, can go for many for for several years if they had to. What do you think, Matt? Have you looked at their? Uh, yeah, they. I don't recall the exact figures offhand, but they've got somewhere in the neighborhood of of like five hundred million in cash on hand. Um, this is they they commented on on the earnings call that this is going to be like one of the peak years for their cash burn because they've got so much R and D expense mm. uh, going into Neutron. Um, but I think it, like if you look at their their last couple of years of of cash flow, like their operating cash flow burn is actually really low. Um, and they're, they're, they're burning most of their cash in, in kind of, you know, investments in R and D and, and they've actually been, been pretty acquisitive as well. Um, but I think there's stock for, for a lot of those, uh, acquisitions if, as, if they continue. Um, so they've got, uh, at least a year of, of runway, possibly more, uh, but it's something that they need to, to manage for sure, because, you know, a year will go by fast. <laughs> so, yeah, this year you think they would, they would, uh, potentially, Use three to five hundred million of cash this year, or something like that, in development. Um, and stuff. So, you know, I'm looking at their um, at their at their cash burn right now. So, like their last, this isn't exactly right, but they burned a little more than a hundred million dollars in operating cash flow, and then like their that was um, last year or last, last year, yeah, yeah, for the whole year, last, yeah, no, last for year, the whole year. For the whole year, yeah. But then their um, their investments. You know, they, they, it looks like the, the business acquisitions are actually the biggest chunk of it. So in the last year, they, they spent like 132 million in cash for business purchases. Mm. Um, so, so like that's, they don't need to keep doing that. Um, no, I think they, don't need they to. would do stock with, with that, uh, if they were to, to do that going forward, but their, their PPE purchases were more like, you know, 42 million, it looks like. So, um, yeah, they've got, they've got probably two or three years as long as they're not, you know, going out and spending a bunch of money on cash for acquisitions. Yeah. All right. Next question from Evan Glansman on the YouTube comments. What is your ETA for the next gen vehicle reveal and start of deliveries? I still think this next gen vehicle might be more of a, like a robo taxi than, you know, than uh, like a $25,000 price car. I still think, you know, I don't know. I still think the model three could become the $25,000 price car, you know, the same, um, so I don't know. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around the possibility that there's like an actual completely newly redesigned car with just stamped part. You know, I think there was some illusion, like Tom Zoo said, paint is expensive when someone asked him about if they're going to use paint on the next gen car. And, and, uh, so I'm still trying to wrap my head around whether this next gen car is going to be a whole new model with like just stamped, you know, plates, the exoskeleton, like the Cybertruck, for example, um, so it's less expensive. Um, I'm still having a hard time believing that, that there's going to be some like $25,000, you know, mini cyber truck looking car that they'll just stamp out, you know, millions of a year, you know, out of Mexico first and then other places. That's, that's where the information seems to be going, but I just don't, I have a hard time believing that still digesting that. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I'll, I'll take the other side of that argument. I mean, um, they they clearly showed the next gen vehicle. There were two that were under the under the curtain on that on that one chart, um, and it was very distinct from the Model Three. 
One is supposed um, to be a van. Up. One is supposed to be yeah. a van, according yeah. to Dave Lee. According to Dave Lee, well, it looks like it. It's got, got like executives. Yeah, it's got like a flat side. It very in it like very yeah. high top. It looks like a van. I think um, that's like a so robo that's taxi right. van vehicle. That's my thought. Anyway, go on. Um, but for the, for the Gen three platform, they did say that um, there will be a robo taxi variant of the Gen three platform. So mm -hmm. it, to me, it seemed pretty clear that you know they're targeting just like a super cheap car. Uh, which you will be able to have a RoboTaxi variant. Um, so, you know, getting back to the this question, so I, I, I guess I don't think that they're going to try to really make the, the Model 3 drastically cheaper. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll continue to, like, improve it, but I don't think it's going to be, like, some massive redesign that, you know, the, where, where the Model 3 kind of takes the place. I think this will be more like a subcompact or something or just a compact car mm -hmm. that's a lot smaller. Yeah. Which I think you need to get to to get to like you know Latin American and like African markets and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But in terms of, of when do I think it'll start? I mean, I think they're they're targeting from what I could put together from Tom Zhu's comments that um, uh, like the Giga Mexico plant will be like up and running by the end of next year. Uh, but just because things never go to plan, I would say first deliveries. Let's say like first half of 2025, I would think. But he also said that they plan to get this up and running faster than Shanghai and beat their record, which would mean like a year from now it would be producing cars. Yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> okay. Like, like I, I'm sure it'll go faster than Berlin and Austin, but mm -hmm. I mean those those were so um, so ridiculously slow. Berlin yeah. in particular, yeah. um, and even like the ramp rate of them is just so slow right now like the how quickly they're increasing their their output um yeah. it's just going a lot a lot more slowly than than Shang. so yeah. Uh, yeah mexico i do think will go faster there's there's going to be less red tape there but um uh i just like if if, if we get deliveries at all next year i'll count that as a win yeah i just don't know how they can get away with this next gen platform without really hurting demand for already waning demand of Model 3. The Model 3 seems to have the weakest demand, right? It's much yep. weaker than the Model Y, and it's already been price reduced. People just don't really want it as much as they want the Model Y or at that price point. So I have a really hard time with how Tesla's going to go about uh, creating this Gen 3 platform of the $25,000 car without completely Osborne, you know, really hurting demand of the Model 3 even more, even if they lower the price another $5,000 of the Model 3, which I think they'd have to do, you know, maybe produce it at zero margins, you know, that's maybe what they're gonna have to do with the Model 3 or something. I, I don't know. It just seems like a tough pill yeah. to swallow to me. That's why I think the Model 3 is like the $25,000 car. That's why I'm still wrestling with that in my head. But you know, they, there's clearly a new platform they're going to unveil with the, with the, like you said, with the, you know, obviously based on the presentation. But I also think the Model 3 might become like the lowest cost, you know, car they produce or something eventually. I don't know. I yeah. just, it's just my, my, my own speculation. They, they need to do something with the Model 3 because the margins, from what I can tell, are really, really low right now on yeah. that. Uh, probably mostly out of, out of Fremont because you're, you know, it's your least efficient factory and like, they, they were struggling so hard just getting that up and running in the first place. And um, so if you, if you have to like cut prices and then it's, it's kind of in this, 
you know, it's 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 definitely in this no man's land where the Model Y is a better car and it's also like roughly the same to, to produce. Yeah. So maybe the decision eventually just is cut the to Model just, Three out. To just cut the Model Three, or maybe you cut it out of Fremont and you can you can support I don't know five hundred thousand or a million per year uh, exporting globally out of Shanghai. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I do think the Model Three is at risk, and and I think as investors we need to be okay with that. Like, yeah, no product like endures forever and yeah. has like continually increasing demand. So yeah, uh, there may come a point where it just doesn't make sense to to sell those. And I just I have a, okay. I'd be so I'd be so sad. I just have a hard time accepting the Model Three might have you know be, become obsolete soon. So I just I just you know that was like th that was the car that got Tesla into the next you know, conversation to become like a mass manufacturer, you know, that was such a big thing for so long and for them not to revamp it and make it like the next best cool thing. It, it makes me sad just to kind of, they might have to just give up on it eventually or something. I don't know that it's possible though. It's very possible. So, yeah, I, I've driven a model three a couple times recently just for rental cars uh, when I've been traveling and like, man, I love the model Y so much more than the model three. So I kind of get, <laughs> You know, if yeah. they're only $5,000 apart, like I think people will choose the Model Y all day long, but um. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to the last question. We've been going on a long time. Last question will be on the YouTube comments from Martin Muldoon. How you doing, Martin? Long time uh, fan here and good guy. Uh, apparently Twitter is still suffering losses. Will Elon have to sell more Tesla stock? Why can't he sell SpaceX stock? Hmm. Well, I wonder where you're getting the information that is Twitter still suffering more losses than anticipated by Elon? I mean, I, I think Elon anticipated Twitter would still suffer losses um, for a while or for some time to come, you know, from taking over. I think he's just cutting those losses drastically. And so I think he's hoping, if I recall from his language, like next year, they can try to break even and start becoming profitable or something like that. So it depends where this news, this information is coming from and how it's being reported. But it doesn't surprise me that Twitter is still suffering losses. I just think it's probably a lot less than it was suffering like six months ago. And maybe in six more months, it'll suffer much less losses, if any losses, than it is now. That's my speculation. Would have to see the source of that uh, report data, uh, Martin, if you want to put it in the comments or something. Um, so I don't think Elon is going to sell more stock. I think he's going to live up to his word and maybe he'll get more invest. You know, there's more time is allows for more investor interest into Twitter and so forth too. So there's probably other options he can tap into for marginal funding if he needs to. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I agree with you. So I, I hadn't heard this, this report either. Um, it, it does seem to me though, that even if it's a lot worse than he was expecting, he sold so much stock already. You know, he said none till 2025, at least no stock sales. So my, my thinking is um, if he did kind of get in a situation where he needed to sell some more, maybe he would sell uh, in 2024. So maybe he pulls up his timeline a year. But I think to do so right now, uh, I think that's unlikely. Um, but I think the other question, why can't he sell SpaceX stock? That, that wouldn't surprise me if he does that. I mean, you know, I think he experienced a lot of, uh, you know, backlash when, when he did that at, uh, all those stock sales kind of, uh, unexpectedly, uh, last year. Um, I don't think he cares too much about that backlash, but, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he, there's so much demand for SpaceX, you know, investment, uh, that it might make sense to, you know, fund a, a little bit out of there. Mm. Yeah. 
I see boiled down AH in the comments saying that Ars Technica came out with an article yesterday talking about Twitter's decreased revenue, but they didn't talk about Twitter's lower expenses. So um, I guess that's the deduction, deduction uh, made is that, you know, but I don't trust a lot of these publications. Um, there's so many biased against Elon publications. Every, all this stuff you really have to take it with a grain of salt um, and kind of believe, like find out where they're misleading us because they're almost always misleading us in some way, shape or form to get whatever bias they have across. So um, yeah, in the lower revenue was, was really apparent before the deal closed. Yeah. Um, so just the, like the one fact of like revenue being significantly down, that doesn't necessarily change the cash burn projections that Elon had in hand when he sold. So, so I'm not uh, convinced that there's any, you know, kind of new data there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're laying off more staff and he's also starting this like chat GTP competitor. It seems like within the Twitter uh, umbrella somehow. So yeah, I got an Andre response. That was funny. Oh yeah, you did. I saw something about that. Yeah. You said like, it could have been you or a nice meme or something. And then he, re did he respond to that meme though? I, I didn't follow the whole thread, but did he, or just respond to someone else responding to your meme, right? So it, it was um, like, somebody said something to the effect of um, like, Andre oh, Carpathy. Like, make, yeah. Andre Carpathy. Yeah. Uh, so so it's something to the effect of like, oh, like, you know, don't make fun of Andre. He's still like a good guy or whatever. And I, you know, I just clarified like, listen, like it's mostly just a joke, but you yeah. know, I'm a little bit bummed that he joined OpenAI because I think he could be doing something more beneficial. And then Andre replied to that and he said like, LOL meme. So he at least saw the meme and kind of okay. understood that it was done. And it was like a good joke. Yeah. Um, but you know, then he, he, he essentially said that he's not convinced that open source is the way to go for cutting edge AI. Uh, hmm. And he had a couple other kind of comments. He had a couple different, um, uh, you know, takes and different replies on that thread. So it was, uh, I, I appreciated him even kind of giving an updated view on his thoughts. I mean, I, I kind of think the money's talking personally for him to kind of change his stance on, yeah. you know, open source. Um, and maybe the work-life balance a little bit, maybe possibly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't completely blame him for that. But, no, me neither. Um, you know, I'd do the same thing probably if I was in his shoes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'd be less transparent or more transparent. I don't know. But I would probably make the same decision career-wise as he did. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't exactly, uh, you know, I hold it against him that, that he did that. No. But it, like I, I said, in one of my comments, like, you know, I just find it sad that he's, he's there rather than working at a company like Tesla, which is like actually saving lives. Um, so, you know, he's, he, he's got his own thing, but I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what Elon tries to do with, you know, like creating another <laughs> AI startup essentially in, in, in inside of uh twitter that's gonna be yeah that seems like a big task I, i'm not sure how yeah. that's gonna go it seems like the main existential risk is the agi alignment issue right the alignment with human interests and how do you control that alignment when they can't even align these chat bots very well it's it sort of like reminds me of like uh the butterfly effect you know where like you you know you I was listening to this, the, this guy, David Deutsch's Fabric of Reality, you know, chapter analysis. He's this book called Fabric of Reality. He's, he's done something called like, uh, he's a, a famous philosopher still living today, David Deutsch. Um, and uh, basically it's like, you know, you can't predict the weather, you know, whether, you know, you can't predict, you know, you have the data, the data is all there. 
to potentially predict it, but it just becomes almost not, there's no almost affinity, right? There's either affinity or not, but it becomes, it just becomes so drastically uh, crazy with, you know, data possibilities that no one can predict the outcome. And so something similar, it seems like with these, uh, these large language models that, you know, and, and it's going to be similar with AGI that like, yeah, you give it this huge data set, but no one can predict how it's going to bounce all the data within itself to figure out where it becomes aligned. You know, it's just going to, it's just yeah. unpredictable just by the nature of it. Almost. It seems like very strange. It, it reminds me of um, what Microsoft did with that chatbot Tay a couple of years ago. Do you remember that? Yeah. It's oh, yeah. like, Hey, I'm Tay. Like, yeah. great to meet you. And then like 18 hours later, it's like Hitler was right. Like, yeah, all these crazy oh, things. Oh man. And then they had to shut it down. It's like, wow. Yeah. So if you're just training it on like human behavior, there's some yeah. bad humans out there. And so like, it's, you, you've got the, a lot of a very high probability that there's going to be unexpected outcomes. Yeah. 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 It's really just roll the dice with this alignment stuff. It's kind of scary. So I'm trying to get that guy, a leaser, your or whatever, you know, he did the bankless podcast. I'm trying to reach out to him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I'm on our channel, but uh, he hasn't responded to me. I think a lot of people have been reaching out to him. So maybe one day we'll get him or someone in, in have a, you know, discussion on that. Just, you know, because it's going to be a big part of not only, you know, the world, but also Tesla. Um, and so it's good to have a better understanding, I think, of uh, where AI is going with this stuff. And yeah. people use the word AI so much. It's really, I feel like AI has been around, that turns it around. Really what's different is neural networks and the application of neural networks to language and all this other stuff. Yeah, that's that's what, how I think of it. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it, you're right. AI is just like, a, it, it's almost lost its meaning, but you yeah. know, there are some applications of it that I think are like going to really change the entire world and sooner than people think and in ways that we can't imagine even yeah. when we are paying attention to this space um so it's yeah it's an area that I think deserves a lot more attention yeah it's gonna be a wild few years so yeah all right guys well good chatting anything else you wanted to say Matt anything else to touch on or no, I think I've uh, I, I've droned on enough, so I think we'll probably right. wrap it there, and we'll touch base next week. Next week. All right. All right, guys. Take care.